Well, if you've picked up nothing else from the course of our studies over these past several weeks, I hope you have absorbed this truth, that the heart of God throbs for human hearts. There is nothing about you that matters more to God than the condition of your heart. It's not your external religious observances. It's not your behavior modification plans. It's not uh, the way you spend money. It's not anything else about you that matters so much to God as the condition of your heart. There's nothing to which God is more committed than the finding and healing of human hearts. That heart from which everything in life flows. God wants to find what is hurting it, what is hindering it, and He wants to heal it. In fact, as we've seen over these past several weeks, this is what drives Him to come to the earth in the form of Jesus, as Jesus Christ. He crosses the vast eternity of space and time to enter into human life to get right up, get His heart right up next to human hearts. We saw Jesus Himself crossing the great Sea of Galilee to find his way into the region of the Gerasenes for the express purpose of finding that Gerasene man and addressing the needs of his heart. It's this same imperative that we see driving Jesus to choose not to go around Samaria as the custom of that day, but to go right through the middle of Samaria to stop and wait at the well of Sychar in order to find the Samaritan woman's heart. It is the same impulse that that moves the heart of the father in the story of the prodigal son to forget his dignity and to pull up his skirts and to go running down the driveway as he sees the shadow of his younger lost son appearing over the horizon. He runs in order to get close to his heart. And then it is the story as well uh, that motivates. uh, It's the motivation of the story of the elder brother as well. As we see the father going out of the house in the midst of the party to find his elder son in order to address the needs of his heart. Our God is a God who longs to close the distance between our heart and his heart, that he might give us the healing and renewal that his heart makes possible. That's been the big theme that we've looked at uh, over these past couple of weeks. But there's a second very important truth that I hope you've also absorbed uh, over the course of our studies, and is this one. God can only save hearts willing to be found. Let me say that again. No no matter how powerfully his heart throbs for us, he can't save us if we will not be found. If the garrison man had not been willing to throw himself at the feet of Jesus as he did in that story, if the woman of Sychar had not been willing to stay there by the side of the well and keep engaging with Jesus, even when his questions got very searching and tough, if the younger son had not finally come to his senses and turns it, turned his heart towards home and gone back in spite of all of the risks implied in that venture, if the elder brother had remained forever outside, unwilling to change his attitude and enter back into the house, if these people had not been willing to be found, then nothing could have happened. Nothing would have changed. Their hearts would have been lost. In the same way, unless you and I are willing to get close enough to God to let him transfuse our hearts with the lifeblood of his heart, then the healing that we need and long for cannot happen. It just cannot happen. That's why I want to look with you today at just one further teaching of Jesus on the subject. 
In Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells a story, and we're going to look at it together to get in greater depth today. And we'll pick up the story at verse uh, 15 or so. A certain man who was preparing a great banquet invited many guests, Jesus said. A certain man who was preparing a great banquet invited many guests. Now, it helps to understand that throughout the New Testament, the image of a great banquet is a enormously meaning-laden metaphor. The image of the great banquet is a metaphor for the place where God addresses the deepest human needs. Whether it's at the Last Supper that gets described by Jesus in the Gospels, or whether it's the marriage supper of the Lamb that gets described as the final destination of humanity in the great book of Revelation. These images of great banquets symbolize always God's heart-throbbing desire to accomplish three vital transformations of the human heart. Three particular changes in the human heart. First, the great banquet symbolizes God's desire to bring us into an intimate relationship with Him. The God we meet in Jesus Christ is not content with being somebody we've simply heard about. He is not content with being somebody that we just talk about. He's not content with being somebody that we just speculate about or or consider from a distance. God wants to be the intimate presence at the table of our lives. God wants to be the one who is there sharing the infinitely good gift of himself moment by moment throughout each day. The defining characteristic of the great banquet that we're going to hear more about in just a moment is that it is the place where the heart of God is found. And it is found to be our true home. Friends, your true home in this life, your true place of belonging, of identity, of origins and conclusions, your true heart or true home is the heart of God. And this is what the great banquet is saying to us. Secondly, the great banquet symbolizes God's desire to fill us with his life, with life-renewing power. God longs to be the living water that slakes our thirst. God longs to be the bread of life that fills us up and strengthens us. God longs to be the power from which we derive a supernatural capacity for living. Beyond our own talents, beyond our own ingenuity, God wants to be that which infills us and empowers us for life beyond the ordinary. He wants to be the eternal vine into which we are so connected that his very spirit, which as you've learned by now, spirit, will, heart, all mean the same thing in the Bible. His very spirit or heart will move through us, enabling us to branch out and bear all of the fruit of his life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control, so much more, humility. He wants these things to be just the flora of our lives as a result of being connected to the power that is his heart. The heart of God throbs to have you sit and sup so deeply and so daily of his truth and his grace that you become absolutely invincible before the trials, the temptations of your life. You have no choice about facing those things. You will face temptations and trials and storms of various kinds, but you have an absolute choice about whether you're equipped to prepare, whether you're prepared to handle those temptations and trials when they come. 
And God's power can enable you to be invincible in the face of those things. He wants to give you the very power of his heart so that you are able to rise above all of the gravity that drags you down, that drags so many people down. This this is what you've been made for. Thirdly, and finally, the great banquet symbolizes God's desire to reorient our hearts toward the life of his kingdom. You and I were made for an infinitely more beautiful life than this world sells us. Day after day, you are being told that your life is about getting this or getting to this place or going there or doing this or doing that. You have an endless array of images presented to your senses about what your life is to be about. But God tells you that his that your life is made for his kingdom. You were made to be a wise steward of this world's resources because they belong to the king. You were made to shape a planet where hard work is balanced with rest, where justice gets tempered with mercy, where personal freedom is balanced with communal responsibility because this is how the king lives. This is how his kingdom operates. We were made to build families and businesses and communities and societies that show compassion and forgiveness to others, which call forth the best in one another because this is what the king does. Too often today, I believe human beings content themselves with building chicken coops on foundations made for skyscrapers. We have forgotten the glory to which we were called, for which we were made. And always, always God's heart throbs with a passion to reawaken us to this kingdom life for which we were created. We must never, never forget that we were created to build the kingdom of God itself, the city of God, a kingdom that reflects in every aspect the heart of the creator. In summary, then, the great banquet is a metaphor for that engagement with God that enables our heart and all that flows out from it to find its full potential. The great banquet is the life that disciples get to enter into now and then experience in all of its completeness and abundance when Christ returns to make everything new again. It's a sign of the ultimate relationship, the the ultimate power and kingdom for which our hearts were made. And so what I want to ask you this morning is, do you understand? Do you understand, deeper than perhaps you did weeks ago, that you have been invited to this banquet. That there's a, there's a place card with your name on it at that banquet. If so, then listen as Jesus continues the parable today. At the time of the banquet, the man sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now just hit pause for a moment and think with me about what's going on in this story so far. God is the Father. God the Father is the man in this particular story. He prepares a great banquet in which the ultimate relationship and power and kingdom is going to be given to any heart who comes to him. He doesn't just invite the A-list to the banquet. He doesn't just invite the, the people that have got it all 
tied up neatly in a, with a bow. He doesn't invite just the people that are attractive. He doesn't invite just the people who are popular. He doesn't invite just the A-list. God invites many guests, the Bible says. He wants this banquet to be huge. He wants it to be a blessing to everyone who will come. And he sends Jesus, who is the servant in this story, to reissue the invitation. God has been inviting the people of Israel for millennia to the great banquet. He's been inviting them, calling them, uh, throbbing after them for millennia to come to the great banquet. And now he sends Jesus once again, in spite of the fact that they refused him so many times, he sends Jesus, the servant, back now to issue the invitation again, hoping that this time, this will be the time that the guests respond. And Jesus says, come now. Everything's ready. All you have to do is come. And you know what happens. Right? Everybody, everybody who gets the invitation drops what they're doing and they text and they Twitter and they telephone each other and they say, see you at the banquet. Right? I mean, who would want to miss it? I mean, a chance to have the ultimate relationship. The ultimate power and kingdom to be part of that, to be personally invited to come and share that. I mean, who is going to miss the chance to have the heart from which flows the wellsprings of your life completely renewed? Who would turn that down? But that's not what happens in the story. On the contrary, their response to the invitation is very different. Jesus issues the call to the banquet of grace that had long ago been given to God's people. But the Bible says, and I quote, they all alike began to make excuses. How do you explain this? Why would anybody ever turn down an invitation like this one? Well, if you follow the story from here, then you know it's for several reasons. Several typical reasons. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. In other words, I'd like to come, but I've got my own piece of the kingdom over here. I'm building my own kingdom over here. And and I've got to attend to that kingdom. So I, I cannot come to the king's banquet. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. In other words, I've got another power source. To pull my life. I've got another. I've got another energy. Another. Another force to get me to where it is. That I want to going. To move my life along. And I, I want to keep trying that out. Before I do something so radical. As to come. To that banquet. So. Please excuse me. Still another said. I, I just got married. So I can't come. 
In other words, I've got a much more immediately gratifying relationship than the master offers. I mean, I know what this one will deliver, at least I know what I hope it will deliver, and I would much rather invest myself there than in this other relationship on the other side of that door. I don't know really what that would get me. Sorry. I can't make it today. What I want you to note, what I invite you to note today is that nobody is rude about this. You notice that in the story? In each of the cases, the response of the invitees is politely tendered. The invitees say things like, please, and excuse me. And you get the sense that this is because there is a part of them that is sort of sorry they can't say yes. You get the feeling that under different circumstances, each of them would like maybe to take the Lord of the story up on his offer. They can see that there probably would be some value to actually going, but it's not enough to fully move them to go. They're just not ready to go all in. They're not ready to to really give all of their hearts to the master's invitation because they frankly have diversified their sources of relationship power in kingdom life. They've They've got other places where they're putting their hopes and their trust for these things. They've got other kingdoms and power and relationships that are supplying their heart, at least half of their heart. And so they don't come. The servant, the Bible story continues, came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servant. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. In other words, if these people that I've had on my first invitation list are just too self-sufficient to accept my invitation, then let's find people that are brokenhearted enough to know how much they need grace and let's invite them because surely then they'll come in. And so apparently the servant goes out and does this and then he reports back again, sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. And the message is that the master has got so much more grace to give than people who want to get it. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in. I mean, you see this just urgent sense of the throbbing heart that says, compel them to come in. Help them understand how important it is not to miss this invitation. Do this, he says, so that my house will be full. And then he concludes by saying in a tone that I think is not so much one of anger as of heart-rending sadness. He says, I tell you, I tell you that not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Oh, the broken heart of God at those who do not Accept the gift that he so lovingly longs to give. If ever there was a parable 
that speaks to the condition of the heart of many in America today, I believe that this one pretty much nails it. Study after study confirms that at least in terms of profession of interest, we Americans like the idea of God more than any other nation, perhaps. We, we like the idea of the Christian God. We like the idea that there is a spiritual relationship possible with him. We like the idea that there is a spiritual power available from him. We like the idea that there is a spiritual kingdom that can inform in some way the government of human affairs. We genuinely, I think we genuinely like the idea that God has invited us to come and sup with him at the big table. I hear this all of the time from people out in the community or visiting our church. I hear it often from people who've been around the congregation for a very long time. Oh, it is wonderful. It's wonderful all that God has laid out here. It's wonderful that that your church offers so much. There's something for everyone there, it seems. What an incredible, what a marvelous menu of opportunities. What a marvelous menu of opportunities you guys have there. You really, really know how to put on a banquet, or at least I've heard that your church does that so very well. And then I, in conversation with these people, speak those fatal five words that almost always close off the conversation quickly. They almost always remember the appointment they have or the text message they got they just have to answer i say those fatal five words would you like to come would you like to come i ask would you like to sit at the table in one of our small groups or one of our mid-sized communities because that's where we really dig into the meat i mean that's where we that's where we really get into it. And I, I, could, I could show you person after person who's sitting at that place at the table has been strengthened so significantly for life. Would you like to come and sit there yourself? Would you like to come to one of our equipping center classes, I might ask? God will use that to give you more wisdom and strength to handle the challenges you're facing to live for the kingdom in your workplace, in your marriage, in your family life, in some other part of your daily existence, would you like to come? Would you like to give a look-see through our bookstore? Maybe take home one of the spiritual training resources that we stock there so God can keep nourishing you throughout the week, no matter where you are. Would you, would you like to come for prayer, I might ask? Is there a burden on your heart? Would you like to come alongside of some of us? We'd just love the chance to pray with you about that concern. Would you like to attend our family life conference or be part of our marriage enrichment classes? We've got ones coming up at the next equipping center. These great classes. Would you, would you like to come? Want to come to one of our short-term mission trips or give a Saturday morning working for the poor? Would you like to volunteer some time with our children or our youth ministries? Because there's a seat for you there. There's a place where God will meet you there. There's a place where God will transfuse your heart there. With the ultimate relationship, the ultimate power, and the ultimate kingdom's life, would you like to come? 
And I issue these invitations all the time. And I hope you're out there issuing those invitations all the time. And my experience is that the answer that often comes back is always very polite. Oh, wow. Let me think about that. That's a very nice invitation. Or, you know, I definitely like to do that one of these days. Or, or gosh, you know, I'd for sure come if I didn't already have this other relationship prioritized, this other source of fulfillment and power that I'm tapping into, if I didn't have this other kingdom that I'm out there cultivating. And, you know, when I get done with those things, I think maybe I will come. My friends, the chief problem we face is not that we do not have a heart or any heart to enter into the kingdom of God, the banquet of God. That's not our problem. The chief problem we face is that we are only half-hearted about it. At best, half-hearted about it. Author Wilbur Rees puts it this way. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or to disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a warm cup of milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a person of a different color or go out and pick beets with a migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of a womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy just $3 worth of God. Please. But no matter how politely our reasoning gets stated, this is the truth. We're missing the great banquet. We're missing the great banquet. Some of us run the risk of getting to the end of life's day believing that we have tried the Christian life. Oh, we tried it. It was okay. It was not everything we heard it was cracked up to be. But we tried it. When the reality is that we have actually only gotten a whiff of the ultimate relationship, power, and kingdom that was there in the next room. We were outside all the time and didn't realize it. We mistook the fragrances of the feast that drifted across our nostrils as the Christian life. We thought that was it and never realized what an awesomely different, heart-shaping, a reality-altering experience lay on the other side of the door. If we would only come. The heart of God. Throbs. For you. It throbs to have you taste and see how good he is. How blessed is the one who takes refuge in him, says the psalmist. But until you give more of your heart to God, he cannot give you more of his. Until you give more of your heart 
than half or less than half. Just $3 worth of your heart, perhaps. Until you give more of it to him, he cannot give you all that he wants to give you of his. Your heart needs the heart of God. My heart needs the heart of God. Everybody who depends on our heart needs us to take in more of the heart of God. And that is why today I, who is but one of his very lowest underservants, have both the duty and the indescribable privilege of issuing on behalf of the master once again the invitation. Come now, for the banquet is ready. Come now, for everything is ready. Do not let the excuses that have kept you from coming further up to now stop you from doing so today. Don't let it happen. Take a further step toward the seat at his table that he has been saving for you. For this, beloved, this is the good news. If you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. You will find the greatest relationship, the most awesome power, the ultimate kingdom, if you will seek him, look for him with all of your heart. Please pray with me. Lord, you know all of the alternative relationships, power sources, and kingdoms that tug on us. But you also know what lies on the other side of that door. And so give us the capacity, the grace that we need to turn away and turn toward Life, that life in all of its abundance that our heart needs. Help us to take a step in that direction today, we pray. In the name of Jesus.